Hello and welcome to the Culture File Weekly Plans for 24 edition when a couple of people are going to tell us what they see in their mind's eye just over the horizon. Conductor and fiddle player Sinead Hayes has a plan to deconstruct the trad session in something she calls Tangle Trad. Connor O'Reilly has his eye on sustainability for our choirs and choral composers. And Belfast polymath and techno titan Max Cooper has been, among other things, redecorating the Acropolis with sound and vision. But we begin with Sinead Hayes and the Four Seasons route to sustainability. We spoke recently to the soloist Patrick Rafter about his newly launched Marble City Music Festival, at which he played the Four Seasons a lot. Well, he's not the only one with the idea of building classical music infrastructure via Vivaldi. Sinead Hayes is perhaps best known as a conductor with Hard Rain Ensemble in Belfast, and she's about to join the development programme for women conductors at the Royal Philharmonic Society in London. But lately she's been putting in time as a musical entrepreneur as well as getting match fit as a violinist, as she explained to Culture File. I've been back properly playing since July, actually, uh, and it's a challenge. I do at least two hours a day. Sometimes that's an hour, uh, sometimes it's three, but it's, it's, it's two hours a day. And like when I miss a couple of days, I really just have to get back to the etudes and, you know, do half an hour of kind of chef chick or something to get get myself fit again, because it's that it's just keeping that fitness level. Because, I mean, um, I did a, a few concerts there with the Contempo Quartet during the Four Seasons and on one night and one Friday, we did three Four Seasons back to back. So I did the solo part of the, of the Four Seasons three times and La Folia thrown in for good measure. So we did each of the concertos. We did four of them three times at like at seven, uh, five, seven and nine o'clock. And it was it was incredible. So I needed to be really fit. So I've been building up to that level of fitness. So the candlelight concerts have come to Galway. So um, I, I, yeah, I kind of stepped in to lead the lead the contemporaries for for a few of those. It's amazing because you get you get an audience that like we had never seen most of the people at any concerts in in Galway before. So the candlelight concerts, it's quite a commercial operation. They are total masters of Instagram. So they have they have managed to reach an audience that we haven't reached. And like some some seats in that concert were going for forty five euros for an hour an hour of a you know, an hour of a concert. And it was amazing to play. But I mean, part of me started to think then, okay, this is great. And it's providing employment for musicians here. It's providing employment for support staff. But all the profits are leaving the island. That is a that is an international company. So none of those profits get plowed back into music in Ireland. So it kind of inspired me to do my own thing, which is what I'm doing on the 21st of December with Strings at Christmas, to maybe get something started here that... I can start to fund my own projects from maybe more popular concerts that I do, certainly as a player. And so it's it's been great. And I suppose, you know, doing those concerts gave me the confidence that I actually could could do it. Because, of course, there's always that doubt after I think I was about, you know, 10 years not really playing classical <laughs> violin in public. Lots of trad, which is a different different thing entirely. Uh, but like, you know, just the confidence to do it. So it's it's kind of, yeah, spurred me on. Lighting the candles is the big bit. Though, <laughs> well, the, you know, they're all battery operated. So, I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's a total operation. Like they they advertise in the candlelight concerts a thousand candles and of course it's all remote control so you know you have one person they flick a switch and it just goes on the the you know the, the hard work is putting them out and then taking putting them all back into the boxes afterwards now I think for Tume I won't have quite as many as a thousand candles I've been I've been kind of busily buying them on Amazon and things like that um, but it's 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 an investment and I 
I really want to, to start this, but I also I want to start it in the west of Ireland and maybe in smaller venues, rural venues, um, where people maybe don't have access to you know concerts like that, and it can be a social thing as well. So I suppose there's a it's it's kind of the start of a bit of a master plan really to to just kind of develop more live music and develop more opportunities for classical musicians in the west of Ireland, so that we can have an ecosystem that supports musicians to be able to have sustainable careers in the West. Your other big occupation, I suppose, for 2024 will be with the Women Conductors Programme at the Royal Philharmonic Society, which, of course, is run by Alice Farnham, who ran the similar kind of programme at the National Concert Hall. Tell us about how you got involved with that. I asked Alice Farnham to help me develop my kind of conducting teaching skills. I had seen her work with the conductors in the National Concert Hall and I just thought she is such a, a beautiful way about her with with teaching. So I wanted to really develop, I suppose, as a conducting teacher as well myself. I suppose for me, I'm a bit more experienced, uh, but trying to get, you know, outside the island to work really is is the next step for me and how I would maybe go about doing that. So she, she suggested I apply for this. And I wasn't sure because, you know, you, you don't want to take an opportunity from uh, a less experienced conductor or a younger conductor. Um, she said, no, it's it's kind of geared for people like me. So, yeah, I, I was delighted to to go and apply and, yeah, delighted to have been uh, accepted. The RPS scheme is kind of it's mentorship and it's working in masterclass situations with uh, the Royal Northern Symphonia. And it's really all the things I, I need at this stage. Uh, mentorship, feedback really from from players on, you know, maybe things to improve because obviously I've, I've done a fair bit of work uh, in Ireland and you're always wondering, is there things you can be doing better? But of course, people are slightly reluctant to say that to a professional conductor coming in. Oh, maybe do it this way. So I, I feel I would love more of that now because, you know, bad habits creep in. You're doing things that maybe maybe you think you're not doing, but and, and they aren't working. They're not connecting. So I suppose for me to get to the next level, I really want to, that feedback and just to improve. In June, my first project with the Royal Northern Symphony is so. Between that and and now, I you know I plan on going to as many rehearsals as possible just to hear how other conductors work. I was at an amazing, amazing concert on Thursday night in the National Concert Hall with Pavo Yarvi, who is you know an absolute god of conducting, and I was lucky enough to go to the rehearsal and just to see him rehearse with those musicians was so special just to be there in the room just to see conductors at that level working with orchestras that they know it's to get those different perspectives different ways of working I think for me is is the important thing now first of all the detail that they played with each and every player took ownership of every single note and I was kind of surprised at the level of feedback from the players during the rehearsal so at one point uh, the double bass leader said I think we all need to listen to the first violins more and of course he was right and Pavo was just kind of Yes, facilitating that, of course. And then there were certain things that, you know, say, for example, Pavo did something. He wanted a specific detail of line to go to the third beat at at the end of one note. And it was almost imperceptible. But he was also kind of by stealth because some of the inner parts weren't exactly quite together. So he did it a couple of times, ostensibly to work with the first violins, but really to get everyone else just listening. Um, And so just seeing that in action and seeing how he did that. It was just fantastic. And I suppose as well, the other thing about that orchestra is, and I was lucky, I, I happened to be sitting beside the managing director in the concert. <laughs> so I got I got it from the horse's mouth. They they swap, like the first and second violins aren't set. So all the players move around. So there's that sense of kind of, I'm not just a second violin. You can be playing first violin, second violin. And they did that during the concert. So for the second half, the first and second violins swapped. 
So it was amazing. It's just and to see that right from the very back of the section and to see the joy that they played with and just the spontaneity. And like there were some things that just almost came apart because they were just so spontaneous in what they were doing. And I just thought, that's the stuff. That's the orchestra I want to build. And like I was saying to the to the managing director, Herr Schmidt, that's what I want to do with my academy orchestra. And like that's what how I want to work with the young people to build them into musicians or to, to help them grow into musicians who have that sense of ownership over every single note and who have the sense of ownership over, you know, what they do in the rehearsals. The conducting is always like the centre of my life. I am, I suppose, 20 hours a day a conductor, really. It's, it's, it's never stops in my head. You know, I I'm always I have a score in my hand. I always, you know, I'm with my nose in the score. But the trad, I have to say, it's, it's been a bit neglected of late. There's so many brilliant new tunes and so many brilliant new bands coming out, and I have not had a chance to, to sit down and learn, learn the tunes. So probably if I sat in a session now, the newer ones would pass me by. I would, I would have to be just sitting there li- learning them on the fly, which I love. But yeah, I haven't played a session for about, about, about a year now, so it's, it's um, interesting. <laughs> but you have very much been thinking about trad in the Darmstead context. <laughs> oh, Darmstead was amazing. I mean, I, I went to Darmstead this summer uh, doing a Wars on Music course. I suppose Darmstead is... It used to be the kind of epicenter of contemporary music in Europe. That's that kind of central European art music, contemporary music style. So we had Stockhausen, Boulez, all of those kind of almost gatekeeper types who were extremely successful composers and thinkers in their own right and influencers of their time. So they would kind of dictate you know, what was what was allowed, uh, I suppose, in contemporary music and what was what was not allowed. So Darmstadt became this kind of epicenter that, that composers would go to during the summer. It's a two week uh, course and you get contact with these composers. And I think, you know, some of our own composers, Raymond Dean, I know, has got went there for Witch Stockhausen. Jenny Walters there and she's she was absolutely the highlight. I mean, her her performance was for me the highlight of the festival in a totally unbiased way of course but like she was she was outstanding and it's amazing to see an artist like that being embraced by this you know a huge wide community of of practitioners and composers maybe very proud actually but I mean I suppose part of the thing for me being there was I just needed a I needed some outside outside inspiration so I I spent a few days watching Anthony Braxton work with the creative orchestra in Darmstadt but that kind of got my juices flowing a little bit about how could I maybe bring this into Irish traditional music and how could I bring elements of this How Braxton works is he has all of these pieces and this whole universe of, you know, compositional language and theory that he's made, which is unbelievable. But his pieces marry notated music and improvisation. It is in a jazz idiom, but very much with the crossover into classical. So it got me thinking, well, how could I maybe take some of those elements along with the elements that I, because obviously I conduct a lot of contemporary music in with Hard Rain and bring all that together. So I, I came up with this idea called Tangle Trad. Originally, the title was Mangle Trad, which kind of gives you more of, a, more of an idea. It's hard to work out how serious you were about all that. Well, what it, what it essentially is, it's giving people permission for, who are outside the Irish traditional music community permission to come in and explore the world of Irish traditional music maybe in a way that they would understand so I have like for example 10 10 rules that you can you take a piece of Irish music so you take a reel or a jig or something like that and you can then apply these different things so for example you can get stuck in a loop on one particular bar 
you can go a little bit faster and a little bit slower in it. You can break off in the middle of the tune into a, an improvisation, maybe using the, the harmonic materials of the tune, but in a style of a composer of your choice. So, for example, Zanakis or Jane O'Leary, you get bonus points if it's an Irish, an Irish composer <laughs> that you're in the style of. So you, you, you can do all these things. And it's kind of, I suppose I took the when you're learning Irish traditional music, things that you do, you kind of get mixed up in certain things. You can go the wrong way in a tune. And I've kind of like put a spotlight on them and, and made them into these set of for, kind of formulaic rules that you can then apply to anything. The idea would be that you get people outside the tradition engaging with it. And then you can have what, what we call a tangle trad session. So you get five or six people or even 10 or 11 people playing uh, this tangle trad. So they're all, they all kind of start together and they all start to veer off. And what you can do is you can decide you're going off on a tangent with somebody. Uh, you're going to say, okay, well, we're going to just get stuck in a loop together and then we're going to come back together and you can make contact because that's part of Braxton's way of working as well. And then, of course, you can break off and decide you want to do a recitation of James Joyce. In a giggling young Whatever you want to do. So it, the idea is, it's kind of bonkers. Your other eye. They threw young heads back. I do feel that there's reluctance um, from people maybe outside the tradition to engage with it because there's that thing of you want to be reverent with it. And of course, I've grown up with with Irish tradition music. I love it very, very deeply. But I I would love to see other people engage with it and see what they would do. So it's, it's this thing of like, as others see us. So like, for example, I've thrown it out up on my website. It's there for anyone to see. I'd love people to take it, experiment with it, do mad things with it. And like, you know, five years down the line, some amazing composer, like Steve Reich or something like that, has has ingrained and imbibed Irish music into their soul and it becomes part of a language and maybe he, he, he does some amazing well, you know, Belfast counterpoint or something like that, just off the top of my head. You know, I would love that. The idea of others using our are the language of Irish tradition music. And of course, Sean Doherty has done amazing work and kind of finding the kind of infinite little little segments and little motifs that we that are intrinsic in the music. So there's there's a lot of work done to give people seeds to, to engage with it. And this is just another part of that, really. We did our very first Tangle Trad session in Darmstadt then. So, uh, this summer? This summer, yes, in, in one of the open spaces. And we, <laughs> we had an eclectic group of, of very interested people. And yeah, it was really fun. So we did we did a, a, a jig and a reel. And then a, a, the last thing we did was we, we mangled, tangled, sorry, we tangled Danny Boy. So <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was kind of irreverent and fun. And I just, I just wanted out there in the world and just, you know, see what people do with it. We can't change the country. Let us change the subject. The thing is, it changes. So you like it, it's it's kind of a movable feast. So it could only it might only be three or four minutes, and the thing kind of grinds to a halt as as everyone kind of like exhausts the various parameters. Or it, like one of them went on for about ten minutes. It was an experiment, and I love that about Darmstadt. I felt I felt like if I'm not gonna if I'm gonna do it anywhere, I'm gonna do it in Darmstadt. And I felt like you could utterly set yourself up and fail miserably. And it was okay. And I and I love that. That's the whole the point of creative kind of work is this like you try things out and if they don't work, you try something new. And if they are moderately successful, you, you put them up on your website and you hope the world looks at them. <laughs>
Sinead Hayes there, and you can find The Laws of Tangle Trad on her website at SineadHayes.net. And she'll be playing a more conventional style, and she'll be playing in a more conventional style at Strings at Christmas by Candlelight, featuring the Ivernia Quartet on December 21st at the Mall Tomb. Tickets from Eventbrite. A choral safety announcement next on the Culture File Weekly. Remember, choirs are not just for Christmas, they're for life. Or at least that's the philosophy of choir conductor and composer Connor O'Reilly. O'Reilly founded his new professional choir, Core, with a mission to ensure that message gets out. And when it does, that there's an infrastructure for choral life in Ireland, from publishers for Irish choral composers to training for choir masters. Shouldn't choral music in Ireland be a bit more like the GAA? He rhetorically asked Culturefile. Earlier this year, I was in at the Cork Choral Festival, and um, I noticed that in the Fleischmann International Competition, the three choirs that came first, second, and third were all Estonian, and they performed not exclusively but predominantly Estonian music, and they 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 sang it with a sound that immediately you just recognised that's Estonian. I mean, to try and sort of put it into words, it's somewhere between maybe that lovely dark sound that you get with Finnish choirs or Russian choirs and then a brighter sound you get in Sweden. It's somewhere in the middle of that, but it's unique. And they really celebrate that. I'm sure you know they had the, the singing revolution there where um, because their national songs were, were um, pretty much banned under the Soviet regime, that, that, that behind the scenes that was bubbling away. And then when they got their independence, they really went for it. And they have a very big, they have this festival every four or five years where they have ten, tens of thousands of singers and choirs come together uh, in this, it's, it's kind of like electric picnic for choirs and it's phenomenal. And they work on the pieces separately in their own communities and then come together and sing. And you, you just, I mean, it's extraordinary. I made a point of talking to singers in the winning choir, Huik, and their conductor, Oda Pirg, who's an absolute force of nature, phenomenal, great conductor. And what was interesting, that they treat choral singing, amateur choral singing, like the way we treat the GAA. They, there's that infrastructure around it. They take it with that level of seriousness. Here in Ireland, we don't actually have that around amateur choral singing. And I think it's something that we do, we actually need to learn from our own GAA because there's an organisation that's supporting amateur sport, but by golly me, it's a professional organisation to the hilt. So everything around it, you know, you go to the smallest village in Ireland and the facilities are phenomenal, but we don't have that for choral music. And so I think it's part of our mission in core will be to try and help to develop some infrastructure around amateur choral singing that isn't there at the moment. I thought you were going to say maybe we should put the best concerts on pay-per-view and nobody be able to watch them. Is that what you're planning? 
we'll see. We'll see. We have. We. we you know. We're, we're. We're at the acorn stage here. So. is the Irish word, CO Father R is the Irish word for choir. It also coincidentally happens to be my initials, Oscailga, so uh, a little bit of an ego trip there, but um, it just, you know, you could say what I was meant to do this. The strategy really is to hone in on certain composers and highlight them. So just to bring up some awareness, pick a particular piece that you think will work this could potentially work with these type of choirs or those type of choirs and then try and get it out, get it into the public consciousness. And then by the time you do concerts, you've built up a set list to use the sort of rock and roll uh, terminology that people will be acquainted with. And so you're hearing contemporary choral music that's just been written, but you know it. One of the uh, things that we would really like to do is let people see that this music is approachable. It's not, you know, it's not anything to be scared of. It's written by people who often sing in choirs or direct choirs themselves. It's really beautifully written and it's beautiful music. So it's just about introducing that. I've said this before, but I think now that we're actually going through a, a golden age where we're having composers that We've never had this level of creativity, this, this, the amount of really excellent choral music that's been written. We haven't had that. Rona Clark is a very established uh, composer in the field, but then you've got Sean Doherty who's come to the fore in recent years. A lot of choirs who would um, take part in competitions would be very familiar with Sean's work. But then there's a whole um, group of composers behind that that just aren't known. Like uh, we're, at the moment we're featuring Katie Bamford, who's from Newry. If you go to, say, a contemporary uh, composition uh, concert, you'll maybe be confronted by a lot of music that you haven't heard before, and it may not stick with you. And, you know, the experience, however good it is, it may not stick. But if you think of the way pop bands and rock bands operate, they get a single out and they promote it relentlessly and then they do another one and then they, and so it gradually sticks some of that music sticks with people with us i feel that we have to do that we have to take a composer at a time take a piece by a particular composer and really focus on that get the uh, awareness out around about them because what's actually happening is somebody like katie for example um, hasn't written a piece in a year and a half because she retrained as a software programmer to make a living Part of it is making people aware of that music, then getting uh, choirs to buy the sheet music, or, or at least buy licenses to print the music. The whole ecosystem will not operate. You know, the publishers will go out of uh, business. We only have two, and we need to hold on to them, and we need to support them. So it's just getting the message out that Irish choirs need to buy Irish music, buy Irish composers, but we then have to 
promote and showcase that music so they know that it's there. What I would really like to do is connect some dots that just at the moment aren't being connected. Connor O'Reilly there of CORE, and you can find more about them and their choral mission on Instagram at core.choir.ie. And finally, this time, some beats and associated floating 3D projections. Max Cooper is a Belfast-born producer, artist and experienced scientist whose prodigious career in electronic music has run in tandem with his ongoing experiments to discover what's good to look at while listening to music, such as the collection of Athenian bangers gathered in his album Live at the Acropolis, where in 2021 he became the first techno artist to play. He spoke to Culture Files Quaylen McNamara about sound and vision. My name's Max Cooper. I'm a musician, but I do a lot of projects with software developers and scientists and architects, and I love doing sort of scientifically related uh, audio-visual or installation projects that cross over and have a music element to them, but also ideas and visual you know, parts and physical parts a lot of the time. So yeah, I do a lot of interdisciplinary collaborations, I guess. For my live shows, you know, they're a big jumble of all sorts of things, you know, all different bits of albums. The challenge of my live shows is always like, how do I spin all these different visual and musical projects together into something that people enjoy? That's the number one thing. Um, Something that works for the acoustics of the space, something that works for the time of day, something that works for what country I'm playing in. But then also, how do I join them all into a narrative that makes sense? You know, how do I tell a visual story and tell a musical story? For each show, I'll I'll try and figure out how I can use lots of projectors and lots of semi-transparent screens to sort of fill the space and work with the architecture and turn, you know, each venue into a bit of a sort of art installation, rave, crossover thing. The 3D AV name comes from the fact that the effect of these sort of semi-transparent screens is that the visuals from the screen behind me jump out in front of me. So there's like this sort of extra dimension of the the visuals coming towards the audience. And I often project around the sides as well and make a, a fully sort of immersive visual side of the show. things that shows have done are just you know you just know you've got a couple of projectors and you just turn up and you think okay where can we fire these it looks good and let's fire let's fire one over there one over there and you know that that's how it started and then over the years i've become a little bit more specific about what projectors and where we should be firing them but really it just came from experimenting and finding that actually it's it's great most of the, it's, it it's hard to get it wrong almost a little bit it's, it just looks cool when you fire a projector at some weird wonky wall or a bit of architecture and all these images move, you know, these, a lot of the time, you know, sort of sciencey technical images moving in weird ways over these different surfaces. I love the way light and surfaces interact as the surfaces are, you know, if they're not, if they're, if they're uneven, um, which also was great at the Acropolis, because there was this, you know, in the Herodotus Atticus Theatre, the back of the stage of this huge ancient monument with all these crumbling stones and stuff and having all the imagery sort of 
moving over those surfaces was you know really special so i just you know i've just found over the years that just project just firing projectors onto stuff is you know is a great way to make you know build an atmosphere essentially what do i hope that people feel after the show i hope that they you know find something that stimulated thoughts and ideas and feelings you know i hope that it was there were moments where it was challenging uh, and moments where it was beautiful and overall that they come out with it you know with some being curious and maybe having found something that they didn't know about you know emotionally before or you know visually just you know having experienced something a bit different i'd rather have some moments that people don't enjoy so that there's some moments that they haven't heard before rather than having it all sort of all enjoyable but all you know within a box i like to push things a little bit and make some moments where it might be a little bit uncomfortable but on the flip side getting something new Sony Lumiere specialist Max Cooper there, and the reporter was Quaylen McNamara. And you can get the full 3D AV experience on Saturday, January 13th at the National Concert Hall, Dublin. NCH.ie are the letters you need now. And that brings to a close this edition of the Culture File Weekly. We'll be back with more techno refurbs next Saturday tea time here on RTE Lyric FM. Till then, bye now.